Afamada readers, my name is Ratnaguna and I'm delighted to have with me today Nick Gauntlet. Hi Nick, welcome. Hello. Nick is a friend of mine uh, who is a musician, a really good musician as you'll see and hear later. Uh, his great love is progressive rock music and we're going to be talking mostly about that today but he's also a music teacher and yesterday Nick you handed in your dissertation on music didn't you? Just tell us a little mm. bit about that. Yeah, so the dissertation was looking at the ways in which higher education shapes the meaning of music. And um, so it's a topic that emerged quite organically for me um, out of my six years studying music between the ages of 16 and 22 and uh, two years of teaching music. Um, and yeah, what I found was really there were some really good things about studying music and some really sort of demoralizing things. And um, the question sort of emerged, what is it all for? Uh, this music education thing. And uh, I, I guess the dissertation sort of answered that, maybe not explicitly, but through the process of research. And um, essentially, um, so, so I used the work of Ian McGilchrist to to look at the sort of the meaning of music and uh, through the lens of the hemispheres, the brain hemispheres. And uh, McGilchrist posits that the, the left hemisphere um, has sort of a... Um, utilitarian, abstracted, and explicit mode of seeing the world, whereas the right hemisphere has an implicit, embodied, and contextual way of seeing the world. And uh, music is built upon the right hemisphere, whereas higher education tends to lean towards the left hemisphere. And so there's this conflict um, that emerges where when people go to study music, uh, their initial love of music is sparked by this implicit love that's almost unconscious in a way they don't really choose to love music and then they go to study it and they start deconstructing it and getting lost in the details and um essentially yeah so i, I interviewed nine individuals i interviewed some teachers uh, some of my colleagues some students and some some alumni i did some ethnographic research on the campus to try and work out what music meant to different people and um it, yeah, it was just a very interesting and a rewarding project to do. Um, yeah, amazing. Uh, I studied music O-level. Mm. Uh, I began to study music A-level, but then I was expelled from college. Mm. But uh, music O-level, we had a young teacher mm. and uh, he, he had a choice um, of whether which um, period of music to study. Mm. And he was young and he chose 20th century music, which I was delighted about. So we were mm. studying Debussy, Schoenberg, Ravel, Webern, Bartok, Stravinsky, of course. Mm. And the thing is, in those days, um, it was very hard to listen to music. You had to buy a whole LP, which mm. was very expensive when you were a schoolboy. So I hardly mm. listened to any of it. But mm. I got a really good grade in my exam because I mm. knew all about serialism and atonal music and uh, bitonal mm. music and so on so I got a good mark completely mm. I suppose you would say using the left brain mm. Mm. that's very very interesting yeah yeah well one of the things that emerged was um, one of my participants, participants in particular well his dad was a dancer so when he grew up for him the meaning of music was to dance to and then when he went into education the social conditions uh, were that uh, he was rewarded for knowing all about music so he learned all about music and he and he focused on technique 
And he and for him, then that was the meaning of music. And then now he's graduated and he's playing live. And the meaning of music is communicating emotion and and feeling to an audience. And it's, so it's it's just interesting how these different contexts um, shape the meaning of music in different ways. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. interesting. Mm. Anyway, let's move on to our main topic today, which is you and your love for progressive rock music and what it means and what it means to you. Um, uh, and of course, you, you've been playing progressive rock music as well. Some mm. of it uh, covers from other bands like Yes and uh, Dream Theatre, but mm. some of it uh, your own. Uh, let's begin with your own music, because uh, mm. when you were a young man, younger than you are now, you actually wrote a concept album. Well, would you call it an album? Well, let's mm. say a concept mm. album. Uh, what was that about? So it was um, based on the story of the Buddha, which, I, which really inspired me when I was 17, 18 years old. And I was, I was obsessed with progressive rock music anyway, and the idea of the concept album, I just loved it. It was like music in the long form. It was like, uh, like a film, um, uh, like, like, like writing a film. Um, and I just thought, well, what, what a perfect medium to express the message of the story of the Buddha. Uh, progressive rock music. So that's what I attempted to do. Uh, it didn't really come to fruition, but I did end up writing some music. Um, yes. Mm. And uh, why did you choose the Buddha? That's a very good question. I, I, I don't really know. Well, I remember at the time I was staying uh, in Norfolk with my nan and um, I, I, I guess I was sort of a very, very much a soul searching teenager. I was really I was looking for for meaning and I stumbled upon two things, really. Um, Ajahn Brahm from the Thai forest tradition. I, I stumbled across many of his videos and was just very intrigued by what he was saying about uh, about how to live life. It was so radically different from the way that I'd been shown in my life. Yes. There was that. And on the other hand, there was um, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Um, that, that, I wondered uh, if that might have been an influence. Yes, it, it was. It was It was a very big influence. So I sort of set on um, sort of dissecting that book into different um, different songs, basically, and, and, and then seeing how could I how could I reinterpret that with a 20th century sort of spin, what, what would it be like to um, to write the story of the Buddha in uh, 2016, as it was at the time? Mm. Mm. And you did record some of it as well. Mm. Yeah, we did. We recorded uh, two songs. Yeah, two. Let's listen to one of them, the one called Eternal. Mm. Uh, it's it's a long song. I think is it mm. nine minutes long? Yeah, nine, nine and a half minutes long. In the, mm. in the tradition of progressive rock, of course, progressive mm. rock bands don't play three-minute songs, do they? Mm. have to be longer no. than that. <laughs> Interestingly, uh, a couple of months ago, I, I interviewed Shravania, who's mm. a conductor and composer. I don't know if you saw that interview. No, I, actually, I saw bits of it, actually, yeah. yeah well, yeah. he's mm. very interesting because mm. uh, he was talking about the length of classical music. It, mm. He said what it does is it invites you to listen, mm. to really listen. Uh, rather than the three-minute song, which comes and goes. But with a long symphony, you know, maybe 50 minutes long, you have to really pay attention. So it invite, invites you to do that. But we're going to listen to a, a part of a song, that song Eternal by yourself and your band, Azura. Uh, so let's hear it. Thank you. 
Beautiful stuff. <laughs> Absolutely oh, wonderful. Uh, I should tell people watching this that you, I don't think I've said that you're a guitarist and you were, mm. it was you playing that guitar solo at the end, a searing guitar solo. Beautiful oh, thank you. Stuff. So how long ago was that recorded? So that was recorded in 2016, I think. And, um, ah, yeah. so yes. five years ago. Five years ago, yeah. Yeah, and mm. how old were you then? I must have been... 18 or 19, I think, yeah. Wow. Mm. Wow. Amazing mm. stuff. <laughs> so uh, let's get on to one of your biggest influences, which is the band called Yes. Mm. Uh, mm. What is it about Yes that you really like? Well, I, oh, there's so much about Yes that I love, but particularly 
it's it's this mixture of uh, craft and musicianship and just pure uh, energy and uh, in enthusiasm and just this sense that they particularly around 1972 this sense that they could just do absolutely anything uh, you can really sense that in the music that they were just really um well it, I, I guess it was sort of the post beatles mentality the beatles really opened up this idea that popular music is a medium where you can really bring in all of these different influences you can really explore you can really tell a story and um yes just took that for me to another level um yeah so yeah <laughs> okay so uh actually we have a, a clip of you when you are a very young man mm. with with your band is it is this the band Ad azura yes it is yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. you're doing a cover of a uh uh a yes song which mm. you, i can't remember the name of it what's the... so it's heart of the sunrise um heart of by the sunrise. yes and this yeah. was our first gig at the alley cat venue in denmark street which uh, doesn't exist anymore um mm. Um, and just just to say as well, for the, the song that we just listened to as well as this, um, Charlotte, the singer, was also part of the songwriting, so it's, uh, I, I should give her credit there. And also the drummer, Dennis, the, the bassist, Digby, and uh, the producer, Aaron, they were all part of creating that as well. Okay, so the, mm. the sound isn't great on this one, but it's good mm. just to see you in action on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. playing a bit of yes is heart of the sunrise great stuff <laughs> so heart of the sunrise and we've heard uh, part of your song eternal mm. um i'm interested in the the words the lyrics as they call them that uh, progressive rock bands do i mean in mm. my day when i was a teenager and we listened to yes and king crimson and soft machine and so on they didn't really sing about love the love mm. of a man and a woman or even a man and a man or a woman a woman they did, didn't sing about that they 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 used to sing about I don't know all almost metaphysical ideas. Is that mm. so? The even now? Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. So, so the original progressive rock music uh, movement. So many of them were well. They were quite middle class educated. Many of them were uh, writing songs about uh, William Blake and uh, and uh, the Greek philosophy, and uh, they were inspired by by all of that. And uh, yes, Herman Hesse and um, 
So these days you do get a bit of that, but um, as well, well, when looking at a band like Porcupine Tree, a more modern progressive band, or Stephen Wilson, they have this real blend of the everyday, I think. So talking about uh, love and uh, sort of your casual interactions. And they, I think they actually combine it very well with these more grand metaphysical ideas and um, poetical ideas. Um, so it has evolved somewhat. Mm, interesting. Mm. So you just mentioned Porcupine Tree and Stephen Wilson. This is another mm. one of your loves. And this is a mm. kind of contemporary um, progressive rock. And I was saying mm. to you earlier, there's almost like a lineage now, isn't there? Starting mm. with Yes, King Crimson, The Nice, etc. Moving up to nowadays. So uh, do, do people like Steve Wilson, Stephen Wilson, um, do they have a great respect for the early innovators of progressive rock? Oh yes, definitely. Well, Stephen Wilson is a uh, is obviously a very big fan of these seventies uh, um, musicians. But when you hear about him talk about progressive rock, actually, and his influence, he really he distinguishes between progressive rock as a spirit and progressive rock as a genre. And he says that a progressive rock initially was the spirit of experimentation, and only later it sort of calcified into a genre, mostly by journalists, actually. Journalists had to categorise it somewhat, and so it turned into what we now refer to as progressive rock. But um, he talks about the spirit of progressive rock can be found in many other genres. It's really just this uh, breaking of boundaries and pushing forward and um, uh, just surprising you. That, that spirit is, I think, what he really exemplifies in his music. Oh, interesting. Mm. I, my great love is classical music, and uh, mm. I listen to a lot of contemporary classical music, and it's exactly the same. Mm. They're, they're breaking through boundaries, they're coming up with new sounds, new harmonies, new rhythms even. Uh, it's mm. very, very exciting. Um, and I, you know, even the old guys like Mozart and Beethoven, that's exactly what they were doing at the time too, wasn't it? They, they, mm. they knew their craft, and then they began to break the boundaries. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's watch again. Now, they, I've, we've got a wonderful clip of you and a couple of friends playing during the lockdown. I, mm. I guess mm. what's happening here is you couldn't actually meet in a studio. You mm. had to record mm. this thing in three different places. Yeah, yeah. So um, so this, is, this was actually for the drummer. The drummer of this piece is um, recital. He's doing a master's degree in performance. And so he asked me and a bass player if we wanted to learn one of these very, very complex, modern, progressive pieces of music. And uh, it was very much a challenge for me to learn this and um, a real test of my technical ability. But um, yeah, so what we did was, was we recorded it separately in our individual home studios and then we sunk it up together into this piece. Uh, over the ah, lockdown. interesting. Mm. So you're not actually playing together? No. Well, we were playing to a reference track and then we, we sort of put all of our parts together. Yeah. Wow, mm. that must have been difficult because, mm. you know, mm. you're bound to play slightly at slightly different rhythm, aren't you? Slightly different timing. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess it required us to be very, very precise and very, very accurate. Um, mm. Yes, mm. yeah. So let's watch this again. It's a long track and uh, originally mm. by a band called Dream Theatre, I think. Dream Theatre, who are one of the, I guess they were sort of um, the band that revived progressive music in the early 90s, actually. It sort of died oh. out in the 80s, but Dream Theatre really revived it. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. I'd never heard of them before this. Mm. 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 Yeah, American band. Mm. Okay, okay. Mm. So let's, let's watch and listen to you and mm. your friends.
<laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, you said that was technically very difficult. Mm, and yes. uh, there's one thing that's very noticed about you when you're playing. Mm. It doesn't mm. look like it's technically difficult. Mm. The bass player was making faces he was playing sometimes, like, like this. The drummer too. But you mm. were like a little Buddha, just like a young <laughs> Buddha. Just, you were just completely at ease. So mm. I, I wanted to ask you about that. How does that feel to be playing something like that? Mm, well, there, a lot of practice went into it, and the, the practice was uh, it's all about getting it into your muscle memory, so it's an unconscious process. And so for, for me, when I'm playing something like that, it's uh, in a sense, it's seeped into my muscle memory to the point uh, where I try not to think about it. Uh, if I think about it, usually I mess up. I guess it's a bit like speaking, like I, like I am now. I'm, if I start thinking about speaking, I'm going to stop speaking well. Um, so it's the same with playing music, I think. It's the same with playing something technical. Um, mm. 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 <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff. Is, it, is there anything else you want to say? Before we I end. think one thing that I, actually I, I would say is that anyone that hasn't listened to any progressive rock music, I, I'd recommend just checking it out. Uh, for me, it's music that just seems to touch me emotionally uh, so much. It really takes you on a journey. It surprises you. It frustrates you. Uh, it covers the whole spectrum of emotion. It will take you out of your comfort zone. And you'll always discover something new listening, even to the same piece. Every listen, I always get something new from it. And so uh, for me, it's just a real source of inspiration and a real source of um, uh, just, just motivation for me as a musician, uh, something to reach towards. And so I just recommend everyone to check out maybe an album like Close to the Edge by Yes, uh, for example. Yeah, mm. yeah. Now, Close to the Edge, I I never heard it before, but you were talking mm. about it last time we spoke. So I listened to mm. some of it, and it's it's got a very harsh sound, doesn't it? Especially mm. the, the guitarist Steve Howe. Mm. Um, the Yes I knew from their first two albums. The, the the sound was quite mellow, but this is quite harsh. Almost Steve Howe's guitar sound sounded to me rather like the guitar sound that um, Captain Beefheart got his guitarist to get. Very very harsh metallic. Mm. Yeah, well, in many ways, Steve Howe's such an uncon unconventional guitar player. He uses this sort of jazz guitar, which he hooks up to a distorted amplifier. And yeah, his tone is, uh, is very harsh and it's very, um, yeah, it's very, it's almost grating to the ears. And there's something about that that I really like. Uh, I like the idea that music can provoke you and can make you uncomfortable. Um, I, I think in, in the context of uh, particularly the opening section of Close to the Edge, there's this blend of that real harshness and this real almost ferocious guitar playing along with this technicality that holds it together. It's holding these two elements, I think, of um, real harshness and real um, solidity and order. Um, I think that's why it works. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Uh, and I suppose uh, another question that's an obvious question to ask you, uh, progressive rock and Buddhism or mm. progressive rock and the Dharma as you practice it. Mm. How do they integrate together? It's a good question. They they definitely do, and and it's it's difficult to say. But I feel like the spirit of progressive rock and the spirit of um, Buddhism are very much similar. It's about pushing boundaries, going going beyond what is uh, conventional, going beyond what is uh, obvious. Um, 
uh, I think progressive rock for me it's it's the, it has this blend of the in, in Nietzschean terms the Apollonian and the Dionysian this order in this chaos and in 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 Buddhism you find that as well you find this balance between virya and samadhi for example it's it's um uh, it's about finding this this balance um, where where you've got well in, in music both the technical and the emotional I suppose and um, progressive rock for me. Uh, it really has that technical ability to a high level, and because of that, it can express emotion at a high level. I think you find the same thing in uh, in in Buddhist practice. You can develop your different faculties, uh, in, in, so they can be in balance. And um, yeah, that's that's one thing. That, uh... Brilliant, brilliant. That's a, <laughs> that's a great note to end on. Mm. Uh, thank mm. you so much, Nick. That's been so good, so enjoyable to talk to you, but also to listen and watch you play. Just really wonderful. Thank you. Ah, oh, thank you. Mm. <laughs>